guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And the first thing I would like to say is that I would never, ever own a boat from the 80s. The, <laughs> the 80s are a dark time for boating. All the boats in the 80s are either horrible remakes, they're ugly, they're just they they look like sneakers that you'd wear at like a, like an old folks home. Yeah, like old white New Balance. Oh, they're just so you're terrible. of course referring to Jess and Mai's, uh episode where we talked about you like, buying this yeah, boat. I don't know, 80s. Yeah, Ace. The thing was a 1972. Same as your car. Same as my car. Okay. Chris Craft XK22, which has uh, shares the same hull as a lot of the Don Aronal boats from back in the day. So the offshore. Yeah, there was stuff. a there was a boat called Co- the Copper Kettle. Which, okay. was a, which was exactly this boat, but uh-huh. it was an offshore racing boat. Now, it has a marinized Corvette motor in it, an LT1. Okay. With like three Marinized? <laughs> so that just means it's made for marine usage. Right, correct. So it has different I've cams. never heard that term. Yeah, so it probably has different cams because okay. they, they run wide open throttle all the time. So they yeah, have I different suppose. cams that, that they go in there, plus they have different water pumps, all this stuff. So sure. different manifolds. But it still had the, the valve cover had the Corvette flags That's on it. That's cool. So, and I think the thing had probably 365, 375 horsepower, which wow. in 1972 is a lot of power for a boat when yeah. everyone else is running around with like V6s and inline fours and everything like that, unless you had a big boat. So this was a really, really special boat. They had shag carpet, <laughs> yeah, like brown, black, and yellow shag carpet, brown tuck and roll seats, Wow, and, uh, and a wraparound windshield. It was a great boat. It took me forever to get it to run. Apparently, and as soon as it ran, I sold it, and oh, uh, I did make my, I did make my money back on that one. But one thing that she did not know is the entire time she thought we were going to get murdered. Yeah, there was a handgun in the center console. <laughs> so I'm not stupid driving yeah. around in the middle of the night. There yeah. was a uh, I had an XDM40 yep. tucked nicely in the in the center console of the car. Yeah, yeah. So, so you do. There was uh, there was the dude was definitely definitely definitely. A creep. Uh, so this news episode is brought to our brought to you guys by our Patreons. We have no one signing up all the time. We'll do kind of a recap on that at the end of the month. But I just want to thank everybody for you know signing up for the Patreon, supporting the show. I know you guys get some T-shirts and you can get a print and stuff like that. You get some exclu- exclusive content. But I know that the core reason everybody does it is to just support the show, and it it really really means a lot to Jake and I yeah. that you guys do that. You know, you dole out your own hard-earned money, the money that you spent doing whatever it is that you do, that you educated yourself, that you, the work that you do, you're spending that on us. And I, it's and really I, what keeps us going. Hopefully we're not making anybody second guess. Well, yeah, you're totally right. I do spend my hard-earned money. Hold on, <laughs> guys. To, Hold on. Hold on. Well, <laughs> it costs the same as like a, a couple of Red Bulls. So I really, really appreciate uh, you guys sticking with us. You can go to patreon.com slash overcrest. Five bucks, ten bucks, support the show. We would really, really, really appreciate it. And I also wanted to appreciate and uh, say thanks to my wife Jess. That's for right, even coming on and uh, and and she, you guys kind of tore me apart a little. Yeah, bit. we had a lot of fun. Yeah, at, 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 my, at my expense. All right, should we get to some news? Let's do it. All right, I gotta say, it feels good to be back here. It yeah, does. we I, missed you. I, I I I love this part of my week coming in here, hanging out with you. And uh, it's you're one of the only people other than a few of my close friends that I see on a regular basis. Otherwise, I don't like people that much. So it's nice. Wait, to, am like, I excluded from your close friends designation? So it's like no, I have close friends also- and I have Jake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> sure. With that. With that. <laughs> anyway, I just I, I appreciate you and I appreciate being here. Aww. And I appreciate everybody listening and and uh hanging out with me on the in, on the social media and talking to me about the podcast episodes and chatting with me about how you guys like tore me to shreds on and everything else on, the, on the other <laughs> episodes, so. And also thanks to Joel Fetter yeah, for coming in awesome. and doing the news episode. I really like Joel. Everybody loves his energy. They're like, oh my God, where does this guy get the energy from? I know. I had, I had a couple no people reach out and say, thank goodness you had Joel back on. I missed him. Yeah. So that was really, really nice. So many thanks to, to Joel Fetter. All right. News. Um, I want to bring this one up because I love being right. Oh, geez. Which is, and I, I'm not sure if our, because I get uh, updates from our listeners like, hey, I found this news story that proves you're right. And I'm not sure if it's, <laughs> hey, I found this news story. It proves you're right. Or it's, I found this news story. You're right. So I don't know like which version of that it is. Well, how many do you get where they're like, hey, you're wrong. See? None. So that means they don't dislike sending it to you, <laughs> right? Because otherwise they'd be just proving you wrong every chance they can get. Yeah, I suppose that's probably true. So uh, Michigan is making me right again. Okay. Uh, it's, it's almost like uh, I predicted this. Right. It's, um, so Michigan has announced Thursday that it is teaming with tech and auto companies to attempt to retrofit a 40-mile stretch of two roads outside of Detroit exclusively for self-driving vehicles. Ah, so, so this goes back to your idea that it's going to start where there's going to be roads where you basically cannot drive yourself on them. Right. Basically what's going to happen is you're going to have you're slowly going to have what you what you're doing paired away from you to the point where you are kind of forced to make a decision to adapt to, well, come on, man, nobody rides horses anymore. Why don't you just go ahead and get an electric car? What's wrong with you? Why are you, why are you living in the past? I don't know because the entire regulatory industry has come on and pulled the rug out from underneath me. And now I don't have a choice. That's why assimilate, I don't want to assimilate Chris assimilate. Uh, Michigan's partners include Ford and Sidewalk Infrastructure Partners, Ooh. a company that Alphabet, which is Google, yeah. uh, who owns Waymo, uh, is oh. one of the companies at the forefront of developing self-driving vehicles. Somebody needs to tell me why we need sidewalk infrastructure in the first place. Haven't we mastered the sidewalk I at don't this know, point? Chris. Every sidewalk is the same. It's what is four feet wide <laughs> and it's made of of, uh, of cement of cement which is basically rocks and water uh-huh it's very simple <laughs> why do we need sidewalk infrastructure incorporated both interstate 94 and michigan avenue between detroit and ann arbor michigan would be retrofitted to include a dedicated lane for self-driving vehicles now okay this is retrofitted means what redoing which means they're taking a lane away mm. which i can't Nothing moves more people than a lane of traffic. I know there's people out here that love public transportation, buses and and uh, trains, uh, trains and um, subways, all this stuff. But nothing moves more people than a lane of traffic on the freeway. Even in rush hour traffic, they move a huge volume of people. Sensors and cameras added to the roads would help the vehicles better understand their surroundings. Physical barriers may be added as well, which would make it easier for the vehicles to drive safely as the location of pedestrians and cyclists would be restricted. So how is this different than, you know, like on 394 out here in the Twin Cities? You have the lane, lane where it's a carpool lane, but it's a dedicated center lane with barriers on both sides. Right. And it opens Why up. do we need anything more than that? Okay. And if you're going to do this. Because the self-driving cars don't work. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to set up their own lane. Uh-huh. They, the only way. I've said, even, this, even, I've said this a million times. What's the that? The only way 
that the self-driving automated car thing is going to work is if they are the only things driving on the road. Right. So that they can interact with each other. It's a known quantity. They don't have grandma with their plaid edition uh, Tesla in non-autonomous mode Ooh. driving around willy-nilly, breaking the law, being a rebel. No, no. Everybody's got to be... That's, it's the only way it's going to work. I don't know Otherwise, why they need... Here's my point, though. I don't know why they need all these sensors. Let's just have a lane with barriers on both sides, and the cars can play bumper cars with themselves in the lane. Probably because it's snow is going to be a big problem. You're not going to be able to see the lanes, so they're going to need sensors to be able to be like, oh, oh, this is where the edge of the road is. Don't drive over here. You might drive into the, all the other people that are just going about their life driving normal on regular days. Mm-hmm. I think that's that, that's probably uh, a part of it. Sidewalk infrastructure partners. How many partners do you need to make a sidewalk? That's the same one. This is like some weird propaganda name. Like you need to come up with a name that's all about... I, I don't understand the name. I don't get it. What? what, what Sidewalk Infrastructure Partners is is the company that's... Yeah. Google, who owns Waymo, Waymo, is heavily... Also investing in this one. Is heavily invested in the sidewalk people who are doing a project... The to re- sidewalk people. I like that name better, by the way. <laughs> they're, do- <laughs> they're doing this project to remove lanes from regular drivers and uh-huh. make them for self-driving cars, which they stand to make money on. Which actually has nothing to do with sidewalks. Nothing. That's the point. This is this is crony capitalism. This is why <laughs> I'm not. It is okay. When you have Explain in, it to me. When, when you have an entity that is, they're going to pay for this. Okay, so they're going to part. They being the government. The, the, no, the sidewalk. And let me just let me continue to read here. It'll, it'll okay. all come together. Okay. Sidewalk Infrastructure Partners has created another subsidiary, Cavenue, which Michigan selected to lead the project. Automakers Ford, BMW, Honda, Toyota, and, and Arrival, which I they're I don't even know who they are. They apparently haven't arrived yet. Will advise <laughs> Cavenue as well as the self-driving companies Argo AI, Too Simple, and Waymo. The leaders of the Michigan project haven't concluded exactly which infrastructure changes will be made, saying that testing is needed to determine the details. Jonathan Weiner, 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 we'll say Weiner, <laughs> co-founder of Sidewalk Infrastructure Partners, told CNN Business that cameras and LIDAR, mm. a popular sensor on autonomous vehicles, could be used. The project's exact route has not been determined yet. Sidewalk Infrastructure Partners would pay the still-to-be-determined initial cost to install the new infrastructure. So, yes, we'll let you basically remove a lane of freeway, mm-hmm. do it the way you want it, mm-hmm. so that you can sell your products down the road. Mm. Because nobody wants this. Nobody's out there at the Capitol building going, damn it, I need a special lane for my Tesla. <laughs> I just Even Tesla owners can't be, do, they don't, I don't feel like anybody wants this right now. What yeah, this is, I see what you mean. is a bunch of idealist, Green New Deal type of people saying, well, we need to, you know, the, the global emissions are out of control. We need to find a way. If there's 50,000 people died this way or that way, we need to find a way to make this happen. How can we make this happen? Why isn't this happening faster? Okay, well, why don't we start pushing infrastructure that's going to make it happen faster? I know it sounds like I'm going on a political rant, but this is what's happening. It's, it's, social, it's civil and social engineering happening. They, it's the Met councils they want. This happens all the time. Okay. A, a, a community or society or city wants things to look or be a certain way, but they can't just do it. So they'll um, they'll add parking meters or 
they will not let you build another parking ramp here because they want to limit the flow of traffic to a mm-hmm. certain area. So they do all these different things. Um, but this one is really, really gratuitous. I don't think anybody really wants something like this. Was this place. something that people were able to vote on, this decision? No, th- no, this is not how, that's not how things work. That's you, not how this works? No, you vote for, well, I don't know how, how things work in Detroit, but this is, it sounds like they're trying to do. Well, so even in Minneapolis, when we heard that last year, they weren't going to be building any new parking structures. That wasn't something that actual citizens got to vote on, was it? Not unless it's a referent, referendum, I don't think. Referendum. So, referendum, yes. Referendum. So, referendum. It's totally different. It's, it's like my Wisconsin coming out of here. <laughs> um, no. So there's when you have uh, when you're doing something like Interstate 94, mm-hmm. that's probably not under the jurisdiction of the city. Right. So that's going to be something that you're going to need to talk to your rep- state representative about or, you know, maybe your uh, Congress. Sure. About. So that's that's something that you elect somebody to make these decisions for you. Right. Because otherwise we wouldn't get anything done because we'd have a vote every other day. You'd have a vote every other day. And direct democracy actually just leads to mob rule. And it's t- it's too volatile. It's mm. it's just not generally a good idea. But for local communities, it works great because you have a small amount of people mm. making choices about a small community. But when you have a huge community like like a, a whole state or an entire country, and you're trying to do one thing in one area like this, there's no reason that you would ever have like Texas or or Minnesota or Montana making decisions via direct democracy on what's going on in yeah. Ann Arbor, no. Michigan. That makes it's sense. Just, it doesn't make any sense. So anyway, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how much this is. I, they, they say it's going to cost about $10 million a mile. Oof. <laughs> just, wow. That's a lot of money. So asphalt just, is not that expensive, just think Chris. how bad they want. They don't have to redo the asphalt, dude. What are you talking about? You're right. So it's not even that. No. It's just barriers and sensors. Barriers, sensors, and paint. $10 million a mile. How bad does Google want this? How yeah. bad does Waymo and Argo AI and, and these companies? An arrival. An arrival. And all these companies <laughs> that. Now, here's the thing is you've basically taken all these manufacturers and everybody knows this is coming. We don't know when. I think over the last two or three years, it's uh, been kind of discovered that this is going to be a lot more complicated than we think. Right. Right. Yeah, it's not like you can just make a level five autonomy and everyone drives themselves. Right. right? So everybody's kind of going, okay, maybe this isn't going to be as easy as, as, as we thought it was going to be, but we know it's coming. Yeah. So how do we make this happen? And this is how. Gotcha. This is how they make it happen faster because people still don't want it. I don't want it. You don't want it. Your dad doesn't want it. My dad doesn't want it. Nobody I know wants to give up their freedom with cars unless you're like a whack job and you're like a Green New Deal type of person mm. or you just don't or you live in New York City or and you don't have a car. Here's but, what I would say to play devil's advocate Okay, is if I was still driving to the office, which I haven't in how many months has it been? I've lost track. I so because this is going to be a proof of concept and if it works, the thought is then it'll get adopted by other cities and everything else. If there was a self-driving lane that took me from my house to where my office is. Would you buy an electric autonomous car just to be able to drive in that lane to work? No, but if I had one, I would enjoy that feature. So, Maybe not on the drive home so because would, I enjoyed the drive home so and sometimes gonna, I did back You're going to enjoy roads. that feature by yourself being the one guy driving in that lane, take, making it harder on everyone else that's suffering in the other I'm lane. I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of people that think the same way. They're like, you know what? If I can just relax, drink a cup of coffee, not have to sit and stop and go rush hour traffic the whole time and the car just does its own thing to get me to my job where I'm not enjoying the drive no, I understand work, that's commuting. That's it's not fine. driving. Yeah. But here's the thing. They're trying to make you go, man, I hate driving in my car. Well, now they've just built this lane. Maybe for my commuter car, I will consider 
buying an autonomous yeah. car yeah. because this lane now exists. Right. If the lane doesn't exist, nobody's going to do it. So right. this, like I'm saying, this is civil engineering. They're trying to they're trying to steer choice. I just I don't really like it. I'd rather people just go. They're yeah. giving you a choice. Think of it that way, Chris. No, they're a not. A choice that did not exist before. They're not before. giving you a choice. They're taking the choice away from the other person that can now cannot drive in that lane unless they capitulate and buy the autonomous car in the first place. They're taking a choice away from someone and giving a choice to someone else. So they're, they're, they're picking and choosing for you, and that's not something I ever like. All right, so uh, BMW is uh, thinking better late than never to the EV game. Now, you know they've been, like, awful. They have the i3, which is like this little hybrid thing. Yeah, with, with the pizza cutter wheels. The, well, it's not a hybrid. It's all electric. But they have a Rex edition, which has the range extender, which is kind of like the a hybrid. Rex edition? I've never heard it called that. Yeah, it's the i3 Rex. It's got a little generator. Right. Yeah, yeah it's a little Honda gender that they yeah, put in the extender. trunk. Rex. And it says Rex right on it. I mean, it says you could just it's Rex. And then they had the i8. R-E-X? R-E-X. And then they had the i8, which was just abysmal. Yeah. I mean, the problem was is that. There was no range on that thing. The problem is, well, that was very early on. Right. Okay, so it's it's not entirely fair to say that the i8 was junk because it was really, really early on. But they carried it for so long. It was made for so long in that kind of like hamstrung, no range, right. not They should have, if they're going to invest in it and decide that this is going to be our halo car, that they should have redone it with new battery tech. They were going to do another one. With, oh. And, but they canceled it. They were oh. going to have a halo i8 the next one. But they sure. Don um, canceled it. Okay. Um, so BMW, this is this is great. This I'm reading out of a out of an article. There. BMW is already amping up for the next oh. generation M5 Super Saloon okay. arriving in 2024. This new version will be a dramatic change from the current F90, labeled the G60. The next five series bows in the uh, comes in in the third quarter of 2023. That's One year later, out. yeah, I know. This is, I mean. One year later, the seventh generation M5 will start chasing fast Audis and Mercs with those two variants. The plug-in hybrid will use the same powertrain as the upcoming X8M with a V8 petrol engine and e-motors totaling, totaling around 750 horsepower to all four wheels. However, the zero emission M5 mm. is a member of this the Klar family. Now, it's just Klar is just like the modular platform where they just take it's subframes. It's like MBQ and, or whatever for the yeah, Volkswagen. Yeah, exactly. Um is a member of the Clark family. That thing's going to be using uh, pouch-type batteries, which is, that's not what Tesla uses. I think they use, uh, Tesla actually uses a better battery than that. Uh, BMW is openly working on a power BEV using a 5-series mule. That model has three motors power from the powertrain we'll see in the electric i4 and the iNext SUV. One drives the front axle, while the rear wheels get a motor each. Numbers? 711 horsepower and sub 3-second 0-60. The maximum projected range is 435 miles. Targeted 0 to 60 mile per hour acceleration is supposed to be 2.9 seconds in terms of uh, additional power output on this thing. Internal documents. Now, here's here's kind of the, the meat. Internal documents suggest 250 kilowatt motors driving the rear wheels and one 250 kilowatt unit propelling the fronts. That's 750 kilowatts or around 1,000 horsepower in total. That may sound awesome, but it will... This I don't know if I agree with this. It will be less than uh, 12 months eclipsed by the tri-motor plaid configuration. But I know, I think that's what we saw at the Nürburgring. Right. But I don't, uh, Elon tweeted out that he's, he's like, oh man, this plaid thing's getting a little complicated. <laughs> I so I just, I really wish we were getting an i8. I'd rather see an i8 supercar looking thing with a thousand right. horsepower than an M5 all electric a thousand horsepower. 
you know, when I think of M5, what's the first, when I say BMW M5 image in your brain, what now, right now, what is it? Oh, it's black. It's the E39. It's the one from with uh, Colin, what's his face in yeah, it? Yeah, it's it's 100% an E39 M5. And we're the back when BMW called themselves the ultimate driving machine. Right. And I think about the tachometer with the the oil warm up on the, on the on the red line where the red yeah. line physically yep. moves as the yep. oil warms up. The lights up. come on. I think of that and I just think of the this all electric thing and I go, meh, eh. Gonna eh. be another Tesla Model S. I would rather have the E39 M5. It's more unique. It has class. It has character. This thing will be a flash in the pan. It's yeah. gonna come out. It's gonna have a thousand horsepower. People are gonna go, wow, this is great. And in one or two years, it's just gonna be. Because think of all the other M5. Do you know like anything about the V10 M5s and all these other? M5s I remember it out? had a V10. And that was it. Yeah, that they, was cool. They came out after that, Everything. and then the one after that was a turbocharged V8, but they had to pipe in the sound. That was one of the first cars where they did synthetic sound in the interior speakers. The Mark Five GTI was one of the first. Oh, really? They had like a little speaker that like bolted to the rain tray. Oh, jeez. Um, and then boost pipe. Yeah, I remember the boost pipe. Yeah. That was kind of dumb. Too. I just I don't remember any. And I don't know if this is just me because I don't care or if this is like a, a symptomatic thing for other car enthusiasts too, but everything after the E39 M5, I don't care. Some yeah. of the some of the M3s that came out, like the V8 M3 is pretty cool. I think that's, yeah, that's I really agree. neat. Um, I think the, uh, the M3 M4, although I don't really like the nomenclature of the name. Oh, I hate that. I like that the fact that they started using more aluminum parts and it's, you know, it's still, it's a turbo in line six, which is kind of like, uh, BMW was always like naturally aspirated, but it, right. was, but it was lighter. It was the first one that was lighter than the previous version. Okay. And I kind of, I drove one of those and I, I kind of liked it, even though it was, <laughs> when you would open the hood, a little lady would say, caution might be hot. Like it has all this stupid Wait, stuff going. Wait, it says that it audibly? Says, it, uh, I don't remember if it says it audibly, but something called, like co contents under hood may be hot. Be careful. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's the motor. Yes. Hello. <laughs> when you open up the hood of anything, you can feel the heat rating off of it. You don't right. need to be told by some German nanny. Anyway, anything after the E39 M5, I just quit caring. And it seemed yeah. like, it, I don't know, I don't know what it is. It just, maybe it's because it I was think such a you, formative period for me. Right. I don't know. I just. I think it's harder to relate to these things too. I mean, E39, you can still say, okay, it's naturally aspirated, six cylinder, it's manually, you got a manual transmission. I don't know. It's, it's something I can't relate as much to the newer cars. And I don't know, maybe that's the key these people with the electric cars that are trying to market and build and get people to do things and buy these things is they need to find a way to make the e maybe i shouldn't even say this maybe it's too good of a tip for someone <laughs> i know there's manufacturer people that listen to the podcast what you guys need to do okay here's what you got to do what's that make the ev relatable for people like me so you can have the core enthusiast group excited about what you're doing how do you do that I what does that know. look like in an I electric vehicle i don't know I don't know. I think it's got to be something um, rear-wheel drive. Right. Maybe uh, you know, I, we're going to end up describing a Tesla here. No. It's got to be like dual engine, rear-wheel drive, okay. dual motor, rear-wheel drive. Uh, I don't even care how many motors there are. I just want it rear-wheel drive, plenty of power back there, plenty which of power. is easy enough to do. Yeah, I want something lightweight. I don't want yep. maybe, no, maybe less technology. Agreed. Maybe I don't think need to Think of like an, an this, is a, this, is, this is an oxymoron, but I want an analog electric car there sh that should be something that's available because if you think about it all you're doing is delivering power to the wheels okay at the core value 
what an, a combustion engine and uh, an electric motor do is the same thing. They turn a freaking wheel. Right. Okay, so that if you boil it down to that, they turn the wheel. Okay, so we found a way. Obviously, we're going to end up with some sort of automatic transmission, right? I'm not, I don't want. There's no, yeah, you don't need to shift. Don't need That's to shift. just superfluous I, I at don't that have point. To shift. Okay, so here's what I want. I want a small car. Yep. I want rear engine. Yep. Rear motor, sorry. Right. Maybe dual rear motor. I don't even know if that's necessary, but right, exactly. I'd love to have two motors in the rear at, what does this say, 250 kilowatts? Sure. That'll be 500 horsepower. It's 700 cool. horsepower. Cool. Great. Maybe not even that much. Maybe no, we just need I think you need it lighter, simpler, lithe. Okay. It handles well. It's got to handle well. And they can because they can put all the batteries in the floor. Yep. I want a simple interior. I want simple instrumentation. Simple. I want analog instrumentation. Okay. Great. I want a big power gauge instead seats. of a rev meter. I want seats that are simple. Yep. I want them to feel good. I want like kind of like bucket Recaro feeling seats that aren't overly complicated. I don't need them to be like red leather or anything like that. I just need like a basic black seat. Right. I need somewhere to put my phone, somewhere to, like a cup holder for a 20 ounce thing of soda and a radio. Right. I, I'll be okay with like a, um, a Apple play screen. Right, that's what it should be. I was going to say, if you have your phone, which we all do anyways, and it'll Bluetooth in, you don't need any of the stuff that's, first of all, not going to be timeless as far as software and UI. Right. All this stuff is outdated immediately, whereas your phone is always going to be the latest and greatest. So just mirror your phone onto the screen and just have a volume knob. Okay, so what, since we don't have a tachometer anymore... Yeah, we don't have. A, we That's don't. what I said. I want some sort of like big power meter or okay, something. So there needs to be like a kilowatt power meter. Yep. There needs to be um, a range. Range. Gauge. There needs to be probably battery. I'd like to see battery temperature because that maybe such- that's what the power meter is instead of that. It's like you have. I agree. I want like five analog gauges on I, the dash. Yeah, I'd like a, maybe a G meter. Something like that. Yeah. Or maybe torque. Can we see torque Ooh, as torque a number? Torque would be good. Yeah, yeah a torque number yeah. Would, be, would be something that would be really interesting to see. Okay. Anyway, just basic. And, and it's going to be, if it's light enough, I don't even want power steering. Let's make it direct. Get rid of all the gonna electric. Be, it's going to be heavy. It's still going to be. Because here's a problem. You can't have hydraulic power steering on an electric car because it's all electric based. You could still have a, uh, you could still have it drive a hydraulic pump. That's, and you, or you could have an electric hydraulic pump. That's not the end of the world. True. You but could, I don't know. Does that exist? I imagine every electric car out there uses electric power steering. I'm not sure, but that's my assumption. I'm, I'm assuming they do. Uh, I'm, I guess I don't know. I'm assuming they do as well. I don't. But sure. Yes, give me, give me a simple, pump. as light as possible. Let me have like manual brakes. Exactly. Let me have like that. Might be a bit much. The why? Why? Like no power brakes? Why do you need power brakes? I'm putting power brakes in the old C10 pickup right now. I don't have power brakes in my 911. And neither, neither do, do I. I. And it feels great. It's very, very linear. You, you, the harder you push, very, the more you stop. That's a light car, though. I don't know, 2,000 and, you know, 2,200 pounds. Yeah. If you could get this thing to be 27, 2,800 pounds, basically what you're talking about is a small car, and you're adding 600 pounds oh, of batteries to it. Here's the thing, though. Okay, so every electric vehicle has regenerative braking, right? Yep. What if you have your regular analog manual brakes and then you have some sort of like lever that's regen, right? No. So think of an e-brake, but it's that's how you regen. No, so you can I turn it to manual it regen mode or something? No, I think you just have a button that says no regen. Okay. And then you just basically have, it just drives like a regular car. So nope, regen off. I don't need it. I don't want to recharge or do anything like that just for the driving. Traction control off. Got to be able to Obviously. turn the traction control off, right? Um, although I don't know 
how torque vectoring works with electric motors. Do they need to be able to talk to each other and control? That's why I only want one. Just give me a regular differential with like a torsion type blocker. Right. Yeah, man, we got this. What's it look like? Who's investing? Who's the venture capitalist out there that's listening to this podcast? We can we can get together and we can consult yeah. with you and make a decent electric car. Agreed. You know what? I, here's the thing. I'm not super excited about it. No? You're still not excited about this? I'm here, here's the thing. I'm not super excited about the prospect of the future of the of of the EV stuff as is. Okay. Because it is all it's all like this way other end of the spectrum. Like, how far can we push this technology? How much into the future can we go with right. this step that's that we're at? That's what is not relatable. Let's just, let's just, that's what isn't on. relatable. Let's slow it down. Let's just build a car that's just really simple. I'm in. Call me. <laughs> Call me. I'm here. Slide and into my Here's DM. the other thing range anxiety. If it's a light, small car with limited battery, let's make some sort of range extender that is an add on. 200 miles. That's all we need. 200 miles, and then you can have your little, like, Honda generator that you can put in the rear trunk. Sure, it has a range extender. Exactly. That's what that is. Fine. Let's, yes. Okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. It just You just basically run at limited power mode if you run out of range. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so that is a problem with performance EV stuff is that they do get hammered. Here. Yeah, that's why make it light. Lightweight makes everything more efficient. What is the, we all know the first impression that you get of a car is, is you look at how it. it looks. Yeah. What's the second impression? Actually, that's wrong. The first impression is when you hear it coming and you can't even see it yet. Second impression is how you, it looks. You ever be like, yeah, what is that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and then it's, it's something like some super disappointing. Broken muffler. Yeah, oh, 100%. <laughs> I, it reminds me of this buddy's story. He had a winter beater for his winter beater. It was an old Fox body Mustang before those became popular again. And the like the headers were rusted out or somewhere in the exhaust was rusted out. And so he pulls up to a stoplight and this guy's like, man, you must have a crazy cam in that thing. And like long tube headers. He's like, nope. Just a hole in the exhaust. <laughs> so, yes, first I, I impression is exhaust. The second impression is what you look at. Third impression is, I don't know. It is 100% the door handle and the catch engaging the striker when you shut the door. Oh, well, in that case, my cars are terrible <laughs> because my 911 door isn't lined up. Mine the is C10. So good now. Mine is so good now. It was very nice. That, you're right. That is nice. The C10, my dad put new weather stripping all around the yeah. door, but it's like so thick and heavy, and the latch mechanism is all the way adjusted out. You have to slam that thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can, have you ever, you try putting a heat gun on it or try and get the rubber to get No, he it. had C-clamps on it to try to like hold it shut yeah. tighter. Uh, yeah, that's always a problem. My passenger door is a little bit like that. Um, this is via Mel Magazine, which I don't know what Mel Magazine is. Okay. I just thought it was interesting. When it comes to cars, the automotive industry has found that there's a significant amount of cognitive association between sound and quality. You might think that the most important psychological association made between the car is the purr of the engine. In reality, it is the door. Mm. Engineering the sound of a car door closing can be traced back to changes in the car manufacturing industry 10 years ago. Increased safety measures meant that car manufacturers had to add extra bars to the side doors to meet safety regulations, which subsequently impacted the sound that the doors made while closing. One of the first things a prospective car buyer encounters is the sound of the driver's door closing, often inside the showroom. This sound gives a subconscious sense of value, yeah, says John right. Berger, a music professor at Stanford University's Center for Computer Research in Music and Acoustics. As such, Per Ford and other manufacturers quickly realized that engineering the right sound of a car door closing was their first opportunity to make buyers feel the car's quality, craftsmanship, and safety 
and it justify a premium price tag. 100%. AKA, how can we lie to these people? <laughs> That's what got me about this whole thing. It is a lie. Everything you're experiencing is a lie. I don't so know. I watched this video of, uh, about this, and I'll, and I'll try to remember to post it up, but it's a dude that just sits there and, like, moves window switches back and forth. Like... <laughs> and like opens and shuts the door like 50 seconds. Nope, nope, that's not it. Oh, nope, that's not it. That doesn't feel expensive. So I wonder if like wow. off in the background, they've got an S-Class from like 1986 just sitting back there. <laughs> and they're like, like this is the gold standard. Because yeah, you always walk up and you're like, yeah, you know what? This, this thing feels like a bank vault when you shut yeah. the door. And that's what you really want because that's what a lot of the old cars did because everything was steel, right? right? Now, even the, your, the, not mine, even your 911 door. Well, the classic 911 door, it's light still, right? right? But when you close it, it has that metallic ting. It's ting. It's more like shink. Yep. I mean, it shink, is, ting. And yeah. somehow there's a ting of, the of like, it's That's the, the spring. spring in the door engaging. And it's a very mechanical feel. It's a mechanical right. thing. And it feels like. It's solid feel. It feels like something that was made. Like I, somebody made this. Yes. Versus somebody plastic injected molded this exactly all the plastic door handles are plastic now and a lot of that is because of design right people have had to like change the design of cars they can't just put a metal door handle on the outside because it just looks antiquated that's what we need in our ev car that we're going to build Ooh, a nice door handle yes anyway i just thought that this was funny um this was well have you ever what's your favorite uh door closing car that you've ever had favorite door closing car yeah like the the sound on the door shutting what's your favorite (sighs) if the 911 was Correct, it would be that. I'm trying to think. The Audi had a pretty good door. The, the, that, but that would have been the engineered, RS4. so that's fake. That that's, was fake. That that's was fake? Some, you think that's fake? What year was that? 07. Yeah, fake. Mm. Guaranteed. Fake door. Fake door! Fake Make news. doors great again. <laughs> <laughs> What's yours? It's the, the E90 probably, or no, the 190, it, I mean? No, it's uh, the 190 was good, but it is a G-Wagon. Oh. It has a very... Very good. Door That's shot. true. It, it, we it, drove it, quite a few G wagons when we were looking at cars. They are that. the G wagon door is phenomenal. Yeah, it, it is. It is really, really for really sure. Good. All right, why don't you uh, tell some, <laughs> Jake? Are you scared about not being able to send a letter to your grandma from a postal box other than the one at the end of your own driveway? No, no. Okay, well, I'm not. Have no fear. There's now something you can do to combat the uh, apparent war on the postal service. It's been going on. Um, When was the last time you bought a stamp? It's been a long time. It was like Christmas, probably, because we stock up for stamps for our Christmas cards, and then from then on, the rest of the year, I have weird snowman stamps that I put on everything. They just you just buy them buy them once, and do you ever buy commemorative stamps? I don't, but I would buy these because the U.S. Postal Service is now issuing commemorative Hot Wheels stamps. And I wanted to get into a little bit because, of course, I went down a rabbit hole and I looked at, oh, the history of Hot Wheels, right? It's kind of a cool story that I didn't know. So Mattel co-founder Elliot Handler set out to create a toy car that looked cooler and performed better than anything else out there. This is the early 60s. Okay, so what was what was performing poorly? Because well, if you think about the old ones, it's just like, it's uh, the way that the bearings are. It's not even a bearing, it's an axle that's like, shoved into a, like a right. casting with like tiny little bakelite. Well, yeah, wheels. until that point, toy cars had usually been little reproductions of existing car 
models. Whereas Handler then enlisted GM car designer Harry Bradley and former rocket scientist Jack Ryan. Also an anti-terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a CIA analyst, Chris. Oh, a CIA analyst. That yeah. happens to be in a lot well, he of He did save the situations. president on an airplane at one time. Yes, he did. So inspired by the rebellious spirit of his own custom yellow Chevrolet El Camino. So this Elliot Handler was like, all right, I got a, a badass car. He's obviously a car guy. Yep. And he's looking at all the toy cars out there. And they're all just basically middle little models of existing cars. So he wanted to have modified versions of the era's most visually appealing hot rods, muscle cars, and one-of-a-kind show cars, not to mention just crazy outlandish cars that don't exist in real life. So translucent candy-colored paint that Mattel branded Spectra Flame was applied directly to the car's zinc alloy bodies. And while an aggressive appearance was important, the tiny vehicles also needed to function like their real-life hot rod counterparts, Chris. So with that in mind, the vehicles were equipped with space-age, red-striped, friction-resistant plastic wheels, and they say independent suspension, which is kind of a misnomer. I think it's just because the bar bends a little bit yeah, independent yeah. on each side. Did you play with the tracks when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. The orange track with yeah. the little red thing that you would stick in the middle and you yep. push them yep. together, and you would just try to make things crash really cool? I mean, it was kind of like, I used to take, I had a dresser and I would take the track and I would stick the top of it in the dresser, yep, shut, the, shut door, the top drawer, shut the top drawer. And then it would go all the way down. And then I would just have it jump off into some amazing crash or go through one loop I, and then crash. You would, would have like, to, mine was like how far it would fly. Right. So you got to get a super long run up down and then the perfect angle on the jump to yep. see how far you can get. Or it. how many tracks, like if you could get it to go into another room, like you oh. could twist the track and like get it to turn sideways to get it to turn and stuff like such a good time. I haven't. I haven't seen this stuff at the store. Where are no. these tracks? Do I need to go? I need to get some of these. Yeah, you know, I we, still have all of my collection. Right across the street from the studio, they do a competition. Yes, they do. Pre-COVID. Now you can't play with Hot Wheels anymore with people because you're going to die. <laughs> but they used to have a, a little track. Yeah, it was monthly. It was the Hot Wheel races. Yeah, and I, you weren't there. I I actually, I Googled. I was like, what is the fastest Hot Wheel they make? And it, it has to be heavy. It has to have the good wheels from before they cheapened it. I have four of those in the drawer over there that you don't know about because I did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, But it was the month you weren't there there and i was uh in second place and Ooh. guess what beat me the same car i brought but this guy's like i've gone through several dozen of these and i raced them all together to see which individual one of it's the like 1995 ferrari f40 model yeah because it's the heaviest and it's like the wheels are great on it and it's like it's high enough off the ground so it doesn't ever drag on the track but it's also has low wind resistance. Oh, Jesus. So he's like, oh yeah, it's obviously the F40 that's the fastest one. So I just bought a whole bunch of these and raced them all together to see which individual one is the fastest. And he beat me. Of course. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So uh, USPS has a bunch of these uh, commemorative stamps showing uh, the Hot Wheels. Oh, I forgot the best part of the story. It's the best part of the story. You almost I know, all right. So when Handler saw his team's first die-cast car rolling along the floor, he said... Those are some hot wheels. <laughs> and the brand name was born. I wonder if that was the same same situation where there was a clothing designer. He goes, man, those are some hot pants. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we've got the name for our Wait pants. Wait a minute. <laughs> um, Chris, you probably know by now, because this happened a few weeks ago, but we haven't really covered it. The Gordon Murray Automotive T50 was released. So this is Gordon Murray's next hypercar. He's a McLaren F1 guy. Yes, he is. So, first of all, 
it's a fan car. What do you mean by that? I mean, back in the day of Formula One, they outlawed, it was, uh, was it the Chaparral? Had a giant fan powered by I was going to make a, a joke. I thought you were talking about like it was a fan car, like he was a fan of something, and then he made Do you not car. know this? Yeah, I knew that, but I was going to make a joke. I'm like, ha actually, you mean it's a fan in the car? But it actually, that's what you mean, so okay, go that's, ahead. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. So basically, it uses a massive fan on the rear of a car to create its own downforce. Right. Which is crazy. If you haven't seen this thing, it, it's like a weird supercar with a fan in the back. Uh, it has the center driver's seat that made the form, the uh, McLaren F1 famous, in my mind. Because what is the first thing? Do you remember seeing the F1 as a kid? And then the first thing you see is like, all right, that's really cool and fast looking. And then you go, wait, you drive in the center? Me, I go, wait, there's gold in the engine compartment? <laughs> that's what I that's always, I mean, because they've got that big BMW cool. thing, they've yeah. got all the gold over yeah. the firewall. Yeah. And you supposedly think this new T50 looks like an MR2 Spider. It does. It, the front end of it does look like an MR2 Spider. It doesn't. The headlights are I think weird. it's a cool homage to the original F1, McLaren F1. Yeah, it does look similar to that as well. But I feel like they it, it's close enough that you could almost be duped into thinking that someone grabbed some MR2 headlights out of the park <laughs> and, and threw them out. Like, they just ran out of money. Man, this fan project Well, that's what Lamborghini expensive. did with the Diablo. Yeah. The 300ZX Nissan headlights yeah, literally bolted right in. Yeah, okay. But Anyways. Yeah, overall, it's still it's a good-looking car. More importantly, though, the engine, Chris. Let me tell you about this. According to Gordon Murray, according to Gordon... <laughs> Take three. According to Gordon Murray, the car was never going to be powered by anything other than a nationally aspirated V12. The 65-degree 12-cylinder architecture has perfect primary and secondary balance. And according to him, V12s make not only the best noise, but also the best low-end torque to work at any speed. So because the T50 uses such a steep rear diffuser in concert with that giant fan, the exhaust piping angles upward and exits out the top rear of the vehicle. Also unique is the complete lack of any belt-driven accessories on the engine. So you look at this thing, it's just a bare engine block with awesome headers going upward. That's because the integrated starter generator system, which is a 48-volt system, not only powers that rear fan, but also all of the other engine accessories, like the water pump and the... Yeah, like the power steering. Like power we steering. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. See, it's all electric. Uh, so basically what we need is this car. Yes. But like for like 40 grand. I, I would say less. Let's make our car 30 grand. Well, that's probably not going to happen. Okay, well, the engine features dry sump lubrication and a compression ratio of 14 to 1. Holy shit. It revs to 12,100 RPM and produces 690 horsepower. Okay, now here's the question. Are you more interested in this or the BMW with a thousand horsepower? Oh, definitely this. Like I honestly wasn't even going to write down the horsepower because it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It to doesn't me. matter. It's such a. It's not a barometer for what's cool anymore. No, I agree. So now we get into my favorite stats of this thing: the throttle response, revving from idle to the twelve thousand one hundred RPM redline happens in only point three seconds. Now, Chris, I want you to blink. All right, okay, that was approximately 0.33 seconds. This engine would have revved to redline faster than you just blinked. So it sounds like this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, <laughs> that equates to a rev speed of over 28,000 RPM per second. So it, I'm thinking of like revving my car up. Like, whoa. Wow. And I'm getting wow. maybe... 
I'm getting to 3,500 RPMs doing that. Just right, like, and it took about a second or over a second to do that. This goes to over 12,000 RPM in 0.3 seconds. That's crazy. Murray, who once compared the rev profile of a turbocharged engine to, quote, watching paint dry, <laughs> told Cosworth that his V12 needed to rev higher and faster than any other road legal car. So what do they do to get it to be able to rev this fast? Is so anything? Because that's, I mean... Everything is super, super light, first of all. So the crankshaft sits as low as three and a half inches off the bottom of the pan, and the entire valve train is made of titanium. There are also no cam chains or belts, as they would simply flex or stretch under such extreme acceleration. Instead, the overhead camshafts are gear-driven. It also requires an extremely low-inertia triple-plate carbon silicone and titanium clutch attached directly to the crankshaft. Chris, this thing has no flywheel. <laughs> let me tell you Let me tell you a story of the first time I started up a car once. So I built, you know, Jersey, Jess's Rabbit. Yes. Was a 16-valve Volkswagen head right. with a um, AEG, I'm not sure of the code anymore, a, AE something. It was an 8-valve block out of a Mark IV. Oh. So it had like the internal water pump and everything. Sure, like that. okay. So it didn't, just because all the the old Volkswagen engine blocks, like they're all rusty. So oh, at really? the time we wanted to get like so a this nice was new, like the Frankenstein. Yeah, so it was basically a sixteen, basically an ABF, but with an internal water pump. So it's got a long stroke. Blah blah blah. blah. Anyway, had carbs, had big cams, had yeah. light and flywheel, everything like that. Got everything running up. Got it idling. Did my did my lean best on the on the yep. on the carburetors and everything like that. And uh, I walked around, got in the car. And went wow with the throttle, and yeah. that that thing revved. It really, really did. And it, first thing it did is it broke every single strap on the pressure plate on the Ooh. first rev. I went wow, and it went and bam, all three straps on the pressure plate just shattered, just tore them immediately, wow. just ripped them right apart, just from the throttle response of how fast you're introducing that from nothing to all of, all of that. I mean, it it just that initial wow. shock broke all the straps on the pressure plate. So that's why I'm thinking that there's really not a lot of parts rotating around that area on this thing. Because anything there, when you go from 0 to 12,000 instantaneously, yeah, imagine just, this incredible... Just all the force. The shearing forces that you're yes. just introducing to all this You're stuff. right. Wow. So also with such extreme engine acceleration comes equally rapid, nearly instantaneous rev decay, which that's the first time I've ever heard that term, and I love it. Rev, rev decay. decay. This means that in order to make it six-speed, because this still has a traditional H-pattern six-speed manual transmission, Chris. <laughs> in order so to does, make does that this... transmission work, the car requires electronic rev matching software. I was going to say, it's got to have yes. flex like so Porsche has. Think about this. How do you upshift in a manual transmission car? You reach red line, release the throttle, depress the clutch, shift into the next gear, then release the clutch while getting back on the throttle. The problem with this engine is that as soon as you basically take your foot off the gas, it immediately falls to idle, and right? You, and then you have to slip the clutch all the way back up. Right. You, normally, you would have to slip the clutch all the way back up to the RPM of the gear you're shifting into. Right. A huge problem. Totally. And you Unless can't you're just, just like an incredible driver that you, you can rev match no. that. I mean, because you can't, it's I not can. like you could just like no lift shift it either because you'll bounce off the red line the whole time. So instead, it was necessary to write software that will maintain engine speed in order to shift, which is just nuts. Um, there's one more kind of interesting aside to this. Quote, 
When it comes to more recent motorsport-derived offerings, I wanted to learn about the throttle response of the Mesger engine tweaked by Williams Advanced Engineering for the Singer DLS, as well as Porsche's latest 4-liter naturally aspirated flat 6 in the back of the GT3 RS, said Gordon Murray. So obviously the new T50 has any Porsche beat as far as rev speed and rev decay, as we said, but I just like that Murray went to Vysak and basically picked Porsche's brain on how to make something rev quickly. Yeah, I, I, I want to see a video of this thing revving. I want to... It's going to sound like my cat fighting with something. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it's actually... So it's probably not going to sound that good revving. We'll have to see what it sounds like under load. I mean, it's going to sound shockingly fast, but in terms of auditory you know, euphoria... Yeah. I don't think it's going to sound that great, but under load, it's going to be amazing. All right, guys, that's it. That's all we got time for. We're going to go into the um, updates on the carburetors and everything else on my car on Monday and do a little, uh, maybe do a little dive. It's going to be the carburetor episode. The carburetor episode. So that's coming up on Monday. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review. We really appreciate that. That yes. really helps us out. Whatever format you're on, uh, leave us a review. That would be great. We will see you guys on Monday. Take care. Mm-hmm.